0: Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast, I'm your host Taylor, and today we are going over uh, an article I wrote, it is my mid-season player rankings. Uh, Basically what I did is I tiered and ranked, well I guess I I tiered every above average player in the league, and then I ranked the top 48 players. The reason I did this was the tiering part is important because depending on the month, the day, the year... (laughs) uh players are gonna move around a lot and there's players that are very very similar and depending on the the night or the series or whatever it may be you can flip a coin and one of them's gonna play better than the other. So the reason you do the tiering is because you're taking that into account. And then I rank the top 48 players because I felt like after that the rankings start to get not as meaningful because again your top five players, your top ten players, that's very important. I think top 20 it's a real difference makers and then from like 20 to about 50, those are your guys where it's either the second, third, fourth best player on your team. If you can get a combination of those players, that's how you get to be a championship level team. So we're going through mid-season player rankings. There is tiers. The tiers are really simple, A plus, A, A minus, all the way down to C plus. Again, we want to tier all the players that are above average. C would be average. And then we will also talk about where they're actually ranked that again, the top 48 players, because that's the A plus through the B tier again. After that, I think it's really hard for me to group players. So if you think about it like 2K, right? So the C plus players are anywhere from like 77, 78, 79 overall, and then crossing that barrier into that B tier that 80 81 overall is kind of how we think about it you know growing up playing video games that's a really really hard jump to make and that line is really blurry again dependent on the season the team you're on your situation is a lot of the times where you fall on either side of that line so that was the criteria in the article again if you want to read the article it's a really it's a very breezy short article Um, Last year, it was 30 pages in a Word document when I wrote it, and I thought that might have been a little excessive. So I trimmed it down a lot to really, really simple one thing about each player, some stats, and then towards the back end, it's it's just, hey, here are the above average players. So that is the layout of the article. It's also going to be the layout of the podcast. What we're going to do is we're just going to start at the top. And we're just going to work our way down. So this episode is going to be the best one because we're talking about the best players. And then we'll we'll move our way down the list. Another thing I want to talk about was the criteria in which I rank these players. So the reason I do mid-season player rankings, there's actually two reasons. So most of the time when you see player rankings come out, it's right before the start of the season. Obviously, there's excitement. The off-season has happened. Free agency, the draft. Maybe a trade in the offseason and you're going in fresh and you're trying to figure out, hey, you know, this team looks good because they have these players. Dah, 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 dah. And that's all well and good. There's a lot of competition. So a lot of articles that rank players come out. Then I like to do midseason because there's way less competition. That's one. And then two. A lot happens over the course of a season, especially with younger players. So being able to, it's almost a little bit of a cheat, but being able to get that half season of information makes things a lot easier. Because going into the season, Ueminyama, Chet Holmgren, you have ideas of where they're going to be. You have maybe hopes if you like them, maybe you have more of a pessimistic look on them. But it's really not backed by anything. Uh, another guy, Jaime has Jr., where he's played really well for the Heat this year, and no one would have had him. I have him as an above-average player in the league. I have him in the C-plus tier. I don't think anyone would have had him there because, again, we hadn't seen him play. So the midseason is important because, again, things change a lot, especially player situations change. As you age, you improve a lot. We've seen it a million times. A guy will come back after an off season where apparently he spent a lot of time in the gym and his world's better and a guy that had, you know, maybe a career year last season has kind of cooled off, has gone back towards his norm. So that's the idea behind the midseason rankings. I feel like it's a little more accurate to what is going on actually this season than the preseason ones. And then as we head to the playoffs, this is a much more useful tool because it is basically updated with half seasons information versus the other lists. So it's just more up to date. It's more useful when looking ahead to the playoffs. And that's why it has been done this way. I did say in the first article I was going to do two rankings a year, one in the middle of the season, one in the offseason. It didn't happen. I don't know. Maybe it'll happen next year. I don't know. But I really like the midseason rankings because, again, that extra information I feel like makes the list way more accurate and it makes way more sense to me. So let's – oh, one more thing. Small sample sizes are – an issue in sports, so, I mean, it's an issue in a lot of things, but specifically in, in grading out teams or players, things can be confusing when you don't have a ton of information, and there are players that are not on this list. There was a lot of guys on the cut list of making the list versus not making the list, because originally, I had tiered A-plus all the way down to C-minus, and so there's a lot more average players, and there was a lot more, what I would call... Know what you call them, but like a lot of times C minus players are if they were to get cut tomorrow, they would get signed by another team. Like just at the the, no question. I don't know what team they're going to go to. A lot of the times to a veteran team that's probably trying to make a playoff push and they'll have a small role. But if you're in the C tier of players, you're able to produce like somewhat productive basketball. So I ended up shortening that because that line was even blurred because the further again you get down into, you know, player 250, it, <laughs> I watch a lot of basketball. I have access to a lot of data, and it still gets pretty difficult to be like, this guy's 240 and this guy's 265. Because again, a week's worth of good play and you're going to swap them. So a guy like Dean Wade, my man. I'm president of the Dean Wade fan club. So this is really going to hurt. He did not make the list. And you know, someone was like, but I don't understand. He's having a, a really fantastic year. His D LeBron is very good, you know, playing as a, a really good three and D player this year. And that's all true. But player rankings are different than like regular season awards. Cause we actually do have a three and D award or we've given it out in the past player rankings for me, takes the last two to three years into account, maybe a little bit more than that for a player that's had a a really successful career where they've been a really consistent player. But for the most part, you want the last two or three years to get a kind of handle on how consistently good a player is because every player in the NBA has hot weeks a lot of players in the NBA have hot months, but the difference maker is being able to sustain that, being able to put multiple months together, multiple seasons. Because a lot of times what you get paid for, especially like free agencies, you're just getting paid for your consistency. Where it's like, this is about what his performance is year to year. It's going to be up and down, right? But generally here. And we've seen a track record of them doing that, so I'm more willing to pay them more money. So, I mean, that makes sense kind of on its surface. So a guy like Dean Wade, it's... It was tough because I'm like, well, he, you know, a really great D LeBron this year, really great as a wing stopper, doesn't score very much, but, you know, we look past that a lot here at an analytics podcast, but it's not that his level of play right now isn't worthy of being on the list, it's I just need to see the track record because, again, he hasn't played a ton in his career, he's never really been more than a 20 minutes a game guy. But as in terms of like a super deep sleeper or, you know, guy you're trying to find, like diamond in the rough type, I think he's absolutely that. And he's seen, you know, he can be a productive player. He's had some injuries, but now in the rotation playing well. Point is, next year, if he continues to play at this level, he'll probably be on the list. But it takes more than a hot month or a, you know, good five-week stretch of play to move on a list like this. Because... Part of what I do is I'm trying to look at the entire league, and this is different. Like I've talked to some guys. I've had guys on the show or just talked on Twitter where they are like essentially beat writers for teams where they follow the Kings or they follow the Spurs, and they follow the storylines of the season. So when a young up-and-coming player has a great week or has a great month, That's something that they report on. That's something that's important to the story of the season, especially if you're following a team. The ebbs and flows of the season, those are important to the storyline that's being built. And that's just one of those things where it's just a different job. So you're going to find that your local people that cover sports are generally going to be more positive because... They probably like the team they're covering or it's a thing of even if they didn't, the longer you cover it, the more you, you you find reasons to like players. You watch every game and you you see a hustle guy or you see someone that goes the extra mile and you, you want to root for them. So there's the, the local scene, which, again, that has value that I don't possess because, again, I'm not watching all these teams week in, week out. But my job here is to more have a zoomed out look of the league and say, like, what are the real needle movers here? Because I need more than like a productive week or two. I need players that are going to be consistently good as the season goes. And again, longer track records. Because that's how you ultimately come up with like the influential players. So that is talking about what the criteria is. I don't know, we're like 10 minutes in. But (laughs) pretty important because we're about to go through like 150 players. So I wanted everyone to understand where I'm coming from. So recapping, it's difficult to move tiers the lower down the tier you go. You get to like B minus C plus players, a little bit easier movement. You need multiple years of quality play to one, make the list. And that's again how you move up the list. Except... I mean, there always are going to be exceptions, because if I was like, well, you know, I just haven't seen enough of Victor Weminyama. It looks good, but I want to see 200 games of it before I put him in the top 150 players in the league. That would make no sense, right? You can be like, well, I've seen him. It's pretty dominant. The flashes are pretty insane, and he's the tallest guy I've ever come across. So I have Weminyama very high on the list, a guy like Chet Holmgren, again, very high on the list, because in the nba specifically even compared to other sports you can come in and dominate at a young age and it's just very very apparent how much better you are than other players in your age group so like i said for a majority of players that need a track record but for the truly special players we're like like Weminyama. at this point <laughs> he's in year one and it's like this guy's got a shot to be a hall of famer <laughs> and normally you don't say that about rookies but it's like nah, this guy's got a guy got, got a real shot <laughs> so let's get into it let's start Uh, Number one, I actually don't have a lot of things to say on these top players because in my mind, like, the top five is not very interesting to me because I'm like, yeah, of course these people are moving mountains. Like, these are Mount Rushmore type players for their franchises, but I don't know how to separate them because they're just so darn good that you run into the problem of, I don't even know what to compare these things to because... It's like it's like when you look at those telescopes, uh, the pictures, the images of like things deep, deep, deep in space, and you're like, ah, that star. I can't really tell how much bigger that star is from that other star. They most like they both must be gigantic because we're seeing them from like whatever fifty thousand parsecs away or whatever the measurement is, but. It's very difficult to be like which one of those stars is hotter? And it's like, I don't know. They're so far away from what I know as like the normal basketball player, it is difficult to gauge their temperatures. But I have Jokic at one, you know, winning helps cement that number one status among, I would say, normal folks. We've been banging the drum here at Basketball Index for probably the last like two or three years, that he's been the best player in the league. His offensive game is Un- seemingly unstoppable, he's the best post player i've ever seen. His ability to physically dominate players and just overpower them is a rarity. His touch is it's the best he has the best touch i've ever seen within like 5 feet of the basket. His ability to hit short floaters consistently as like the roll man is unbelievable because normally you're like well if we can force a player into like kind of a weird in between four or five foot shot that's where you kind of want to live where it's like you don't want people hitting like spot up jumpers and you don't want people finishing at the rim because you just shoot a much higher percentage at the rim and you force players into that in between kind of ground with Jokic you're like wait that's the place he's maybe the best on top of that the passing is unreal he can play with other players, plays with a ball-dominant guy in Jamal Murray. He feeds shooters. All of a sudden, players go to the Nuggets, and you're like, well, I didn't know they were that good at cutting. And it's like, well, uh, maybe, but it might just be playing with Jokic. So I don't think I have to argue with a lot of people <laughs> anymore that he is the best player in the league. Again, winning that championship really helps cement that. But you saw it in the playoffs, his ability to just dominate for the entire run, really. Um, Just kind of cemented his place there at the top and made that an easy pick. Again, I had Embiid for the MVP for the first half of the season. I think I had SGA as the runner-up, but then right there in the race, Luka, Giannis, and Jokic, where as the season goes on, obviously Embiid's hurt, so he's not going to be able to win it. As the season goes on, Jokic is right there at the top, could easily win. And a lot of times with players like in their, their prime, you know, four or five years, they're kind of in the MVP conversation every year if you want them to be. It's just, are you going to build the narrative or are there more interesting narratives to kind of talk about so you don't, you just don't touch on them as much? Because I feel like I haven't talked about them on the podcast almost at all this year, but Denver taking care of their business. Continuing to be a really good team, he is continuing to do eye-popping things on a nightly basis. I know his efficiency was down, I haven't looked in like a week or two, relative to his standards. But again, relative to the league, still extremely good, still extremely high. And then again, it all comes back to that playmaking where anytime you have like top five, top three, top one playmaking on a team, it's just so incredibly valuable. But he's number one. Number two, Luca. Luca, I, I feel like I've kind of been banging the drum because for me, he just, the level of control he has over possessions, where he's dictating what everyone's doing the entire 24 seconds, and then when he wants to, just like embarrassing people, like is embarrassing people at a consistent rate on a nightly basis, it is just, <laughs> it's weird that I gotta fight people on this, but... Luca, so the playoff run in, what was that, 2022, where they went to the Western Conference Finals and they lost to the Warriors, that team he was on wasn't that good. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't that good. And he was the best player in that playoff run. He was even better than Steph Curry. But he ran into a team that was much better than him. That was the first time he really moved a mountain on his own. Since then, he just has not been on very good teams. There's not a lot around him right now. You have Kyrie, and you're like, okay, that's a second secondary offensive player that's really, really good. That's 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 a building block. And then Derek Lively as a rookie has had pretty good impact. And then after that, it's pretty slim pickings on the roster. So Luca, again, surrounded by almost nothing, stuffing the stat sheet in impossible ways. His efficiency has improved, you know, from a couple seasons ago. So it's that's that's a, a good mark. The playmaking is absolutely unbelievable his ability to control half court possessions is at, are already at a hall of fame level. So, Luka's just one of those situations where once he gets some better teammates around him, like they could just rattle off two or three championships. This could be a, a dynasty very easily in the making in Dallas, but I don't know how that roster construction is going to happen, but just watching him play it is I don't want to say effortless because a lot of times he's just overpowering players. He's just so big. Another part of his game is he can see the floor and pass like LeBron in the way that he can drive. And he can throw it over defenders because he's just so big. He can overpower players in the post. His handle is unbelievably elite. It, it, very rarely do you see him out of control with the ball. What's crazy is he's not out of control with the ball, and then with his off-arm his off-shoulder or whatever, he's controlling the defender, so he's doing like two different things at once. Um, again, that size is going to age really well, and he's not even in his prime yet. He's still relatively young. So once that, you know, like age 27, age 28 season, when that touch and mid-range game, three-point shooting, which we've seen improve, gets to their apex, ah, I don't even know. I, I, could he average 40 points a game? I, th- I guess he could. Like, could he average 40 points and 11 assists a game in his prime? This is like, I don't know if you've ever simulated 2K games, and, like, you look at the the stats after, and you're like, oh, this doesn't make. Like, the the stats aren't, the minutes per game or however the simulation works, like, it's not set correctly. It's, like, over overclocked slightly. Luke going to have some, like, overclocked box score stats. So, I Hey, if you want to argue with me about how good Luke is, I don't mind sounding smart. So at Taylor metrics on Twitter, number three, Joel Embiid, he has been on a, a scoring tear over the last season and a half this year, capped off. By what was at the 70 point game where it was just get him the ball, just get the ball in his hands. If you could just get him the ball, <laughs> it's over. The play's over because what's interesting about him is he'll just camp out at the free throw line and... It's very hard to deny the ball there, right? Center of the court. So Embiid, he catches the ball at the free throw line. He faces up. And as a defense, you would normally say, okay, this center that's a dominant post player, physically imposing, let's have him settle for a lot of jumpers. And that will hopefully bring the efficiency down a little bit and just stop the avalanche of scoring. But Embiid is shooting 51% on mid-range pull-up jumpers. 51% this year. 48% last season. His mid-range game is silky smooth. It's among the best players in the league, like top five, where he's very happy to just take that elbow jumper over and over and over again. And then it pulls your big out, whoever's guarding him. And then he starts going to the basket, starts getting to the free throw line. And he's so big in the restricted area. Like you're just not going to stop him. Uh, unfortunately, out with a, with a knee injury, hopefully back for the playoffs. The biggest thing with Embiid is he's been hurt for the last two playoffs. So we really haven't gotten to see his MVP caliber play in the games that really matter. And it looks like he could be limping into the playoffs again this year. So that's not going to help narratives. But And it's just really unfortunate. Because it's just frustrating because you would like to see, you know, at the end of the day, you just want to see the best players, healthy at their best in the playoffs going against each other because, I mean, that's the whole reason we... Sure, do I want to know who is ultimately better or which team construction works or whatever it is? Like, yeah, I do want to know that, but watching legends go back and forth trading baskets or fantastic plays on offense and defense is so fun (laughs) that... People will literally stand up at the game or at home. It's so much fun. Sometimes we'll just stand up while we're watching. That's how exciting it is. So Joel Embiid at three. I have not been the biggest fan of him in the past. And I think some of it was, like there was some maturity stuff, you know, to be frank, early in the career. It seems to be less of an issue now. And I think some of that comes with winning. I think some of that comes with just dominating so much. Every once in a while, he'll still do some ridiculous things or the, the foul drawing will just be frustrating to watch. But end of the day, you're putting up those type of box score numbers with that type of efficiency, and there's not a lot to argue with. After that, we have Giannis at four. Giannis is in the stretch of a historical scoring multi-season season Kind of flurry, I guess. If you look at a big time scoring, which is my all time playoff scoring model, I guess, it adjusts for inflation of scoring in, in newer years and it looks at a, basically your volume relative to other stars and then it looks at your efficiency and you can go back to 1974. If you want it, the app's free. It's in my Twitter bio if you want to look at it. Giannis is putting up some stellar seasons. His defense has definitely regressed. It's not anywhere near it was in like 2019 or 2020. Some of that is age. Some of that is once you've won as much as the Bucks have won, you're a little bit more in cruise control as the regular season goes. This season, you know, trading for Dame, trying to be more optimized for the playoffs, trying to have a more deadly offense. The team is not clicking at all. And so much of it is Giannis again, just brute forcing, going to the rim, racking up huge scoring numbers, and that's been a, a really big part of their success. They kind of have to get everything else going and kind of put into place, but Giannis still one of the best players in the league right there in the MVP conversation. That you can't stop him <laughs> It's uh <laughs> that's a pretty pretty important factor on offense that he's just literally unstoppable and going to the basket. He's just too big, too strong. And again, too good at finishing. His touch around the rim really, really great. And then on top of that, his passing is is quite good. It is He's a unique player because he's a he's like a power forward that does everything off the drop. He's really more of like a slasher more than anything. But he's a slasher who has good pretty good vision, understands where to pass the ball, but it's most slashers are like 6'4. <laughs> so that's really the difference. But his ability to I mean, some of it is the dribbling rules changing, but (laughs) his ability to dribble, attack the basket from the perimeter, get ahead of steam going. And there's not a lot to break down other than he's too big and you can't stop him. And when you send a lot of resources towards him, he's able to finish over and around them. And then on top of that, you know, hits the passes he needs to hit. Like his his assist numbers, his playmaking data is, is pretty strong relative to other shot creator players. So Giannis... Very, very good, very elite player. And then at five, I have SGA. And you'd say, well, Taylor, I don't understand. You have SGA at five, but you would have as the runner-up for the MVP. Again, this is multi-season. So if it was just this season, I'd probably have SGA a little bit higher. But what he's doing in Oklahoma City as the lead player, they're one of the best teams in the league. His ability to get to the rim and finish, unbelievable. His mid-range game is fantastic. His three-point game has... I don't know if it's regressed. I don't know if that's the right word, but he's moved away from it. He, takes, he doesn't take very many threes, only a handful of game, but everything else is just so, so good. Again, you're getting a good amount of playmaking out of him for the amount of scoring you're getting right. You want a little bit of that balance of really, really big-time scoring. The scoring is probably more important generally. So big-time scoring numbers, super high efficiency, and then you need... The playmaking data to come off that to create, and again, it doesn't have the players don't have to be like they don't want to be Steve Nash, but you got to be able to know how to leverage your scoring gravity into creating easy opportunities for other teammates, and SGA has done that uh, beautifully so. That is our A-plus tier. I think I might do it for this episode. We did the the long introduction, and then we made it through the very, very elite players where if you don't, like, I don't understand how you could really disagree with these top five. Of Sure, do you want to reshuffle them in this tier? I don't care. I don't care at all. But as the top five players in the league, I think this is what you want in terms of recapping things. I had, you know, Steph Curry, he's been bumped down. He was a player that had been here for a number of years, He just isn't quite at that level this year. Still very good. It doesn't help his team situation. They're not good. They're very bad. And he's kind of the only guy there making a difference. But, you know, as you get older, age 35, the efficiency, again, still very good relative to the league, but not near his career norms. Looks to be down two of the last three years. Natural aging. You're going to be less impactful. You're going to be able to do less in the regular season. His defensive numbers are down. Again, some of that is his teammates aren't as good, and some of it is at 35, there's only so much juice in the battery every night where you're just going to take plays off on defense. You're going to be matched up against worse players. You're just not going to be like a bat out of hell every possession, because you just you you know at that point that you can't be over the course of a whole regular season. In spurts certain games, spurts, quarters, yes, but you, you gotta save it because you just don't have it to give all year. So that's gonna be our top five again, Jokic at one, Luka at two, and beat at three, Giannis at four, and SGA at five. Like I said, I'm actually a little more interested to get a little further down. Get a little, gonna get, the takes are gonna get hotter once we get into the more B tier of players. But that's going to wrap it up for this one. Again, if you want to talk to me about this midseason player rankings, at TaylorMetrics on Twitter. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.